Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's July 28th, 1932, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. They make good servants. They can carry off blondes without getting ideas in their heads, which helps in these mad days. When they have served their foul purposes, moreover, they can walk off high cliffs and out of the picture. The words of the New York Times' film critic in the newspaper's review of White Zombie, helpfully describing the titular creatures to the unwitting American public upon the release, today in history in 1932, of the first ever zombie movie. Yeah, and that's really its significance. It's not a great film, although I have watched it and it was better than I was expecting it to be for a film made in 1932 on an incredibly low budget. (laughs) But what it really introduced the world to was not even horror as a genre, because this is after Frankenstein and after Dracula, but it introduced the zombie concept Mm. to the public at large. Yeah, and it was sort of also trying to capitalise on this broad public fascination with voodoo at the time. You know, what what zombies were back then wasn't strictly what zombies are today. But this interest came about due to the publication of William B. Seabrook's book, The Magic Island in 1929, which focused on Haitian voodoo. And that book popularised the word zombie, which was still very much a novelty in the 1930s, though it can actually be spotted in English texts that go back to the beginning of the 19th century. But magic, the Magic Island kicked off this vogue for stories, particularly of dead bodies being revived through voodoo. That's the bit that sort of dropped away. Uh, and then serving as the slave army, particularly for usually this or that unscrupulous landowner in Haiti. Yeah, the chapter in The Magic Island that deals with zombies mentions them being used as labourers in the cane sugar fields, which is actually kind of similar to the way that they're portrayed in this movie. And that's because the original concept of the zombie, which is so far removed from what zombies are in popular culture now, it came from the enslaved Africans who were in Haiti and their fear of remaining slaves after death. There's even accounts of plantation overseers who used zombification as a threat to discourage slaves from committing suicide. You know, if you kill yourself, I'll turn you into a zombie and you'll be a slave forever. So it was all very tied in to the specific history and culture of Haiti and then this is really the beginning of it being brought into something very different and very divorced from those roots. Yes, so all the end of humanity event stuff or mutations, all of those kind of zombies only occur after George A. Romero in the second half of the 20th century. For a long time, zombies were as zombies were depicted in this 1929 book. And so in a sense... It's kind of authentic. I mean, it seems ridiculous to say, but it plays directly into a nightmare that people would have had had they read that book and thought, what would it be like if I went there and this happened to me? I mean, it's right there in the title, White Zombie. I mean, it's basically (laughs) saying those guys in, in Haiti, they're black. 
But imagine if a white girl went there and became a zombie. I mean, that's basically <laughs> what the story is. Yeah, because just to go into the plot a bit deeper, so it revolves around this young couple, Madeline and Neil. They travel to Haiti to get married, but their plans take this rather sinister turn when they meet this mysterious dude called Murder Legendre, who's played by Bella Lugosi. In Got a bad full... feeling about him. <laughs> yeah, it's not subtle. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> this film. No, right. So Murder Legendre, who's played by Bella Lugosi, is this voodoo master who possesses the ability to control the minds of the living dead and he turns lots of people into mindless zombies on behalf of some other sort of local wicked plantation owner <laughs> who himself then falls in love with Madeline and, you know, in because he's not going to be able to seduce her, he calls on uh, Legendre to come and step in and and turn her into a zombie, and then you get the zombification of this white woman, hence white zombie. Yes, Madge Bellamy playing Madeline never had a feature role again after this. It was not considered a hit, but I think she has a great... Well, I was about to say she has a great silent movie style face, but that's kind of the problem, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. She's doing silent movie type acting, and so is Bella Lugosi, really, even though he made his name actually on stage yeah. playing Dracula. Um, but there's a lot of gurning at the camera, and I suppose that just felt old-fashioned even in 1932. Yeah, I mean, the trajectory that the movie had was oddly similar to an indie movie today. You know, and this was at a time when studios controlled you know, absolutely everything. You know, they had an iron grip on the output. But White Zombie was made independently by Victor and Edward Halper, and they were brothers. They shot it in 11 days, and mostly they used rented studio space at the Universal lot, and they use leftover props. Apparently, if you're a you know big into horror films at the time, you can spot some of the props that they were using. They were filming at night when the Universal weren't using space anymore. I was looking at one of the scenes where uh, Madeline steps out onto the balcony, and I was like, that looks French. And then I was looking on Google and it's like, oh, they used the set from the Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah, they did I mean, a really good job at recycling it. Yeah, I mean, they made it on an ultra low budget of $50,000. And one of the ways that they had to cut costs was in the casting of the actors. You mentioned Madge Bellamy having a silent movie style quality. And a lot of the actors in the movie were silent movie stars who hadn't nailed the transition to talkies. And that was one of the things that was really, you know, the, the reviews to, of the movie were not kind for the most part, even though it did make money. But that was mostly because it was made for so little money in the first place. You know, it was the acting was very stilted and it was very harking back to that old fashioned silent screen style. And the participation of Bella Lugosi was really actually kind of odd. Couldn't quite get to the bottom of it. I think biographers have tried to understand how he ended up in this movie because he was actually a pretty hot property at the time. The first horror star. He yeah, was I mean, Dracula. Yeah. As you mentioned, he'd started out on stage, you know, as in this Broadway production of Dracula, which became a huge sensation. And then he was cast in the 1931 screen version. So he was doing pretty well. The reason that he would be doing this a year later is really kind of mysterious. I think the roots of it seem to be that he had a real character actor work ethic. And so he accepted the offer to make this movie. And apparently he only made around $5,000 total from it, but he just liked to be working. Which is a tenth of the budget in total. It's not bad for a week's work either. Yeah, well, that's he the didn't thing. exactly have to push the envelope out from his characterisation of Dracula, did <laughs> yeah, he? Yeah, totally. I do think it must have been weird to be Bela Lugosi. You know, he came from Hungary and he was an esteemed stage actor. He'd won Shakespeare prizes. Imagine coming to the US and realising that you have a spooky voice yes. in this new country <laughs> that you didn't have before. You know, you're the Shakespearean stage star and then they're like, great, you sound creepy. Yeah. And then yes. you spend the whole rest of your life just and doing that. And that kind of Hollywood racism was really jumping out at me watching this. This was made kind of in the gap between World War I and World War II. The Europeanness of a face 
like Lugosi. I suppose Boris Karloff as well, after World War One, was doing the same thing, wasn't it? Which is just like Americans had just been fighting those guys mm. and, and did find them sinister and weird. And so that's the baddies are either Eastern Europeans or, or black. Yeah, that image of white plantation owner with this army of unresisting brown-skinned workers performing menial agricultural tasks you just couldn't get it off the ground now and nor would you want to like it's just it seems as repulsive as actually the film turned out to be popular back in the day because it actually even though it wasn't a hit on the scale of Dracula or Frankenstein it easily made back the Halperins their $50,000 investment and it was successful enough that it made way for a sequel which they then found a way to economize on by recycling some of the footage that they had um, filmed the previous (laughs) time so uh, but you know it also really set up this enormous entire genre and came to be regarded as a sort of prototype for lots of the horror movies that came afterwards. It zips along as well because it's only an hour long which wasn't unusual for a feature length film back then but obviously feels short now and yet within that you know the 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 scariness of the the idea that someone can be brought back from the dead and then become a puppet of someone else for their own nefarious purposes is allowed to have room to breathe. Mm. You know, I was watching it thinking, this is a scary concept. And, and you know, Madge Bellamy does look beautiful at the beginning and then she does do kind of vacant really well. Like, she, you know, she, she's lost all of her character and, and the man that's married her just so that he could have her because this is the only way he could obviously regret what he's done. Like, mm. there's there's some emotional core to what's happening. It's not just completely ridiculous. You, you're watching it and you're, you, you are thinking about the issues that have since become known as the things you think about when you watch zombie films. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's very much, you know, yeah, this guy has an army of mindless black slaves and that's kind of bad, but this white girl might end up married to the wrong man and that's really (laughs) scary. In terms of how the zombies in this movie changed the zombies we know now, you know, it's it's really weird. Like, they really did a 180-degree turn. You know, they went from slow-moving, mindless slaves who are being used as puppets to these ultra-fast, rampaging cannibal monsters that we see now that are, like, you know, scaling over walls and popping up in random Mm. places to eat people's brains. But the transition was actually much slower than you might assume, definitely slower than I assumed. You know, I knew that Night of the Living Dead, that was 1968, that's obviously seen as sort of the first modern zombie film, but the creatures are never described as zombies, and George A. Romero's script actually called them ghouls. He wasn't thinking about zombies Mm. at all. Yeah, I wonder if part of their adaptability is because they don't arrive with a backstory quite so clearly as do Dracula or Frankenstein. They are individuals, whereas zombies are kind of a, a race, a being, a thing, you know, and they can be pressed into duty for all sorts of storytelling needs, whether it's, you know, social satire or just gory action or plain old simple jump scares. You can use them for all of that. And they're quite sort of low-budget, low-risk monster as well because just yes. a bit of red food dye at the edge of the <laughs> mouth can, <laughs> can be enough. Rip their clothing up and you've got a monster. <laughs> And so another week of retrospecting ends. But next week begins a day early at Club Retrospectors. Join us now to get an exclusive episode every Sunday. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.